Use the gooseneck? Okay. All right. Okay. Well, again, so the verse I want to focus on is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 5. It says, But watch thou in all things endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Now, of course, it's the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy, who is a pastor, and he's telling this pastor that he needs to do the work of an evangelist. Now, first of all, I just want to point you and direct you to the the fact that being an evangelist is work, okay? It says do the work of an evangelist. Now, an evangelist, uh, basically, I went back to the Greek on this, okay? It just means someone that preaches the gospel, okay? So an evangelist is someone that brings forth the gospel, okay? But it's, it's, and it's not an office of the church, but it is a position in the church where, because it talks about it in the scriptures, and I'll go to those later on in the sermon, but... Um, and, and obviously, like I said, I'm directing this message towards Brother Ian, and I want you to take these things to heart that you know, I mean, obviously, you know, you've been doing it for a while, you know, the job is work, all right? And so, um, what is the work of an evangelist? Well, like I said, the name indicates someone that does evangelism or a soul winner. And so a lot of people in here, we do, the, we all do the work of an evangelist. If you're out soul winning, you're doing the work of an evangelist. But Brother Ian has also expressed the desire to become a bishop in this church or a pastor um, or an elder or whatever you want to call it. They're kind of used interchangeably, but uh, he, he wants to become the bishop of this church, but he must first be proved before this can happen. Now I'm going to ordain him as the evangelist today because he has proven his ability to do the work of an evangelist in my mind. In seven months, this church has grown. I mean, we have a packed house today and basically this church is the only game in town. It's the only game in the country. It's the only game in Europe, really. I mean, there's, there's, I'm not saying there's no other saved pastors or anything like that, but I'm saying that for a church like Sure Foundation Baptist Church, this is the only uh, one of its kind in all of UK right now and definitely in all of Europe. Now, there's a lot of people that are getting together for soul winning, but uh, at this point, there's no other churches that have been founded under uh, the Sure Foundation Baptist name or any name of any of the friends of... Uh, pastor friends of mine or any of those other churches. So uh, I think this church is going to grow even greater. Um, we're trying to get this new building kind of locked down. Once we do that, I think that, you know, we, ex we extend the, the tent, so to speak. We, uh, we stretch forth and uh, we, we get a bigger place and more people are going to come. That's just how it works. And so, like I said, for ne nearly seven months, Brother Ian's been doing the improving his ministry at this church plant. But Brother Ian was also already doing some of this work before we even started this church. And so somebody, I've, just been, I've been watching this group of soul winners for a while. You didn't know it, but I was watching you uh, from afar. So I was watching the good works that you guys were doing, the great works, and it was everybody. You know, it was, just, it was called UK Soul Winners, right? And there's still some groups of people in UK Soul Winners. I'm not trying to slight them, but this kind of became... The church plant, and I was Brother Ian's name came up to me uh, from different people, and I kind of checked into a little, to talked to him on the phone, and uh, we started working together, and then we just said, "Hey, well, let's just launch it, let's just do it, right?" Um, so we did, and I didn't come over, I didn't make the trip over. You know, we had all the COVID stuff going on and all that nonsense, and. So we just decided to do it. And, I, and you know, to me, the, the model of church that we have, you know, this uh, church planting model, you know, 
we have to have someone that can lead. We have to have someone that can be boots on the ground. So what, someone has to be here to preach. Someone has to have control over the services. Someone has to uh, be willing to do the hard stuff. And we, we don't have a plurality of elders. That's not, we're not, this is not a Presbyterian church. This is a Baptist church and it's elder led, it's pastor led. But uh, while I can't be here, I am your pastor from however many thousand miles away it is, but I have placed and entrusted Brother Ian Tavener as the leader at this church. And so he's, like I said, done a great job, and he was doing it before this, the, we even started the church. And so he came highly recommended to me by several people. So now I'm going to put him to the test and see if he's got what it takes to become the pastor of this church. And I think he does. And so it'll probably be another year and a half or so, and uh, we'll revisit things and um, I'm sure he's going to still be doing a great job, and that's what I'm looking forward to is seeing this church grow, and I'm going to try to make it back at least once a year uh, to come visit y'all, but uh, once a year is probably about the limit of what I'm going to be able to do. So, But now you'll have someone that can uh, uh, baptize people. You, you won't have to wait for years on end to be baptized and things like that. So, um, But uh, he's going to as the pastor, if you're going to become the pastor someday, you know, you're going to be required to feed the flock of God, uh, to do the work and to be put into the ministry. You know, it's, it's something that it's not just me ordaining you today, brother Ian, it's the Lord Jesus Christ is looking down on this church and you know, he's the one that ultimately puts people in the ministry. He looks at people's works, he sees what they do, and then he just makes it happen. Right. And so that's kind of what's happening today. But I do want to have, I do have, I think, three points of my sermon today. I think it's three um, of the work of an evangelist. So the types of work that has to be done by the evangelist. So number one this morning, an evangelist must be willing to work out of class. An evangelist must be willing to work out of class. And what I mean by that is that, you know, of the, as, he, as an evangelist, he's not the pastor, but he still has to do the work that a pastor would do. He still has to do the work that a deacon would do. I'm not saying that there's it's a class system like in that way. I'm just saying that like, just take like secular work, for instance, like uh, uh, Brother Doran, you work. Do you have to have certain people have to have certain classifications to dig? And, you know, if you're working on an ex excavator, you kind of you're supposed to have a license. <laughs> no, I mean, I know how things work in the real world, but different classifications, uh, you have to be able to do that work. You have to be qualified to do that kind of work. And so as an evangelist, you know, Brother Ian's not qualified yet to become the pastor, but that's what he's working toward. But I've already deemed that I believe that he's ready to do the work of an evangelist. And so that's what he's going to be ordained at. But in the, in the future, also doing, he's already been doing the work of a pastor. He's not the pastor, but he's doing the work of a pastor. He's also been doing the work of a deacon. You know, deacons were brought in to uh, serve tables, to, do the, to, to actually just be like laborers and workers. But that's not all they were expected to do because we know the first uh, martyr, Stephen, was what was he? He was a deacon, but he also preached and did manual labor. And so there's different classifications you know, that, that you have to do, um, but you kind of have to be able to do everything. You know, to be the pastor, you kind of have to be able to do everything in, the, in, in classes below you. At, at where I work, if you are a crew leader, you have to be able to do every position underneath you as far as, and, I, and again, I'm not trying to say that anybody in the church is underneath us in that way. I'm just saying that leadership is held to a higher standard. 
And to be like a, a leader at my work, you have to be able to have the ability to do all the paperwork, lead people, lead other grown men and tell them what to do. And, you know, sometimes that can be difficult. Some people aren't just cut out to do that kind of stuff. Some people just cannot lead. And there's nothing wrong with you if you're not a leader, but there does have to be types of people that are in leadership and, and you have to be able to fulfill those roles. Let's look at Acts chapter six, verse number one. We'll look. And, and what I want to look at is the life of Philip and how he uh, was a great evangelist. And a lot of people don't think of Philip as a great evangelist, but he was a great evangelist. And not, not only was he an evangelist, but he was a deacon also. Look at Acts 6.1. It says, In those days, when the number of the disciples was multi multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So what's going on here is, well, uh, there's so much, so many people that the pastors can't keep up with all the work. And so what did they, what, what happened? Well, look at verse number two. It says, then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, is it wrong for pastors to help do the physical work in the church? No, but if it's taking up so much time that they can't even study their Bibles, they can't even have time to read their Bibles, they don't have time to write sermons to edify the people. What's the pastor's main job to do is to feed my sheep. That's what Jesus said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And so as a pastor, your job is to feed the sheep. That's the main job, to watch over them, to protect them, to care for them. And it's not waiting tables, all right? And again, there's nothing wrong with waiting tables, but the, this position was, was made so that the pastors, so that the elders, so that the apostles had time to study the word of God. See, it says it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Look at verse number three. It says, wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So it's not just, hey, find the workers, find the hardest workers. Now, I would say that people that are hard workers are good candidates to be in leadership. But look, at they had to be of honest report. They had to be full of the Holy Ghost. They had to have wisdom. So what? They should probably know the Bible. They should be saved, obviously, uh, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, that word appoint, is the, another word for that, a synonym for that would be what? Ordain. Yeah. Ordain. So appoint over this business. Now, people will say, oh, you're just running the house of God like a business. Yeah, because it's a business. It's my father's business. And we have to run it in a specific way. And so he's saying, hey, let's appoint these men these seven men over this business of what? Waiting tables, helping with the daily ministration, helping with anything that the pastor needed help with. It wasn't to be some kind of lordship over the pastor like you see in most churches today where the deacons run the church, the deacons say what, what goes on, the deacons say what, what money gets spent on what. That's not how this church is run. This is a elder-led church. Now look what it says in verse 4. It says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they needed these deacons, these workers, to step up and help with the daily ministration because it was not reason for the pastor to have to, to just drop everything he's doing, all the things that are the main thing that they're supposed to be doing to serve tables, right? So they invented this position of the deacon. Now look at verse number 5. It says, and the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen 
a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and who? Philip, and Procurus, and Nicantor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, the proselyte of Antioch. But you don't really hear about these other guys too much more in the scriptures, but who do you hear about? Stephen, and he was martyred and killed for his faith while he was doing what? Preaching. So he was working out of class, wasn't he? He was, he was preaching the word of God, and he was so powerful in his preaching that they ran upon him, gnashing upon their teeth, and, and grabbed him and threw him outside of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. He was a man full of the Holy Ghost, though, wasn't he? But he was working out, what, what were the deacons first, what did they first have to come to do? They had to come to help with the daily ministration. So, but part of that is, hey, go preach a sermon for me over here. Go preach a sermon for me over there. It wasn't just about waiting tables. They were doing things out of their own class, so to speak, also. It says in verse 6, Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed and laid their hands on them, that's ordination, right? They pray for them, and that's what I'm going to do after the service. I'm going to pray for Brother Ian. I'm going to lay my hands upon him and ordain him as the evangelist here. And it says, um, verse 7, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. So what was the end result of this happening? Well, when these seven men were ordained, the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Because of what they came in to do, they freed up the apostles and the elders to do more preaching, to, to study harder, to be able to bring better sermons, to uh, be able to organize soul winning and, and so on and so forth. But it, it, it was a help to the church. It wasn't a hindrance. And so as Philip was willing to do things that a pastor would do, Brother Ian, I also expect you to do things that a pastor would do. And again, you've already been doing them, but that's part of the charge of this ordination. It's not just about going and preaching the gospel. It's about Bible preaching. It's about doing maybe the work of a deacon. But now just because you're doing that work doesn't make you that. Okay, so people don't call him pastor until he becomes the pastor, but you don't have to call him evangelist either. You can still call him Brother Ian, but you can call him evangelist Ian if you want after the service. All right, but <laughs> I'm kidding. But uh, so uh, like I explained to you at my secular job, we have those rules about uh, being in certain classes. And you must be able to perform the duties underneath you. Like, and, and I'm not saying it's under, like, I don't want you to get me wrong here. Nothing is under beneath me as the pastor. But like I normally don't lead songs, you can probably tell. Um, <laughs> and I normally don't lead, and if I do lead songs, it's never without a piano. So I was out of my comfort zone a little bit this morning. And I got to do it this, again this afternoon. But it's fine because, you know, sometimes there's a need to do something that isn't necessarily always in your wheelhouse. But, you know, and this is something you all can take upon yourself also that sometimes you got to step out and do things that you're not exactly comfortable doing. And brother Ian is going to be charged with doing things that he might not necessarily always be comfortable with. You know, sometimes uh, it gets, it gets ugly. Sometimes the ministry gets ugly. Sometimes you're attacked. Sometimes you're maligned and lied about. Sometimes there's people that creep in and try to do destruction in the church. And, you know, he's got to deal with that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, it's just part of the job. So it's, it's the soul winning's great. The baptisms are great. The church attendance and the singing, great. You know, everything that's done is being great. But sometimes there's ugly parts of the ministry that you're going to have to deal with, Brother Ian. 
And so I'm, I'm praying that for you that you have strength to deal with those situations as they arise. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 8. So I just kind of want to prove to you that, you know, the deacons also did other things besides just serving tables. Um, look at what it says in the qualifications of the deacons. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. It says, likewise, must. Does it say must? Yeah. Must the deacons be grave? That means serious, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. And wouldn't you say that some of these are in the the qualifications of a bishop too? Yeah. So the deacons have to have a lot of the qualifications that the bishop does, pretty much almost all the same things. And it says, holding the mystery of faith in, pure, in a pure conscience, and let these also first be proved. So a deacon must also first be proved before they can become a deacon. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found what? Blameless. Are, are pastors supposed to be blameless also? Yes, pastors are supposed to be blameless also. Even so, must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. So it even the deacon's wives even have this, you know, you can't just be some, you know, some great guy, some great man of God, all these, you meet all these qualifications, but your wife is just kind of a slanderer. You know, she's not serious. She's always just goofing around and never taking anything serious. She's a drunkard. You know, you can't, you know, you, it's kind of a package deal. And so you have to be faithful in all things. It says, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. Isn't that one of the qualifications of a bishop? Yeah, the husbands of one wife. And it's not one wife at a time, Rockmanites. Um, <laughs> that's kind of what they were. They, how they interpret that. It's like, oh, yeah, you can marry and get divorced and then just keep doing that and you can still be the pastor or the deacon. That's not what the Bible is teaching here. It's the husband of one wife ruling their children and their own house as well. So you also have to, you know, um, as you're attaining you know, these qualifications, you have to be able to um, rule your children and your own house well. Because what's the Bible say? That if you can't rule the, your own house, how are you going to rule the house of God? So that's, that's why that qualification is there. Because if your whole life's a mess and your kids are a mess and your wife's a mess, then, it, you know, you just aren't qualified. It doesn't mean you're a wicked person or anything like that. It just means you're not qualified for that position. It says in verse 13, For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree, and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So great boldness, that doesn't mean you're sitting behind the desk only doing paperwork, right? If you have great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus, what are you going to be doing? Preaching. Doesn't, take, doesn't preaching take boldness? It does. Doesn't preaching the gospel take boldness? Yes, it does. So now I showed you that Philip is one of the seven deacons. And so he had to meet all these qualifications first, but yet also he's an evangelist. And then the Apostle Paul told Timothy he has to do the work of an evangelist. And so you see how they all kind of have some of the similar, similar things, but an evangelist doesn't necessarily have to be married. Why not? Because the Apostle Paul was not married. And I think that the Apostle Paul was an evangelist. You know, what we call a missionary today is what the Bible calls an evangelist. Because isn't that the work that Philip was doing? What was he doing? Well, we're going to get into it. But uh, you must be able to attain some of the qualifications of bishops. And, and likewise, they have to do the things that an evangelist would do. So <clears throat> Philip was an evangelist, and he was also a deacon. And I'll prove that to you at the end of the sermon, that he was an evangelist also. But 
um, Paul told Timothy, again, to do the work of an evangelist. And as a pastor, you don't just get to stop soul winning just because you become the pastor. Now, I know there's a lot of pastors out there that actually believe that and practice that. They're like, go invite someone to church today. It's like, why don't you go and invite someone to church today? You lazy slug. Go out and do something. Go out and preach the gospel to someone. It's not their job to bring people in to march them down an aisle so they can sit there and, and, and bow before them and, and then they lead them to the Lord. It's, I mean, that's not how the Bible designed. We're supposed to go and preach the gospel, right? It doesn't say bring them in and preach the gospel. Now, there's nothing wrong with the gospel being preached here at the building. I, I agree. If there's someone that's not saved, then we should go to that person if they come to our church and try to give them an opportunity to be saved. But uh, the Apostle Paul was not married. The Apostle Paul did not have children. And yet he was able to do the work of an evangelist, didn't he? I mean, if anybody, if you could say anybody did the work of an evangelist, it was the Apostle Paul. And did he do the, the office of a deacon? He probably did. You know, it says he worked with his own hands, laboring uh, with his hands to do work. And also, um, he did the work of a pastor because, you know, but was he a pastor? No, he wasn't qualified to be a pastor because he, was, he wasn't the husband of one wife and he didn't have children. So, but he was also an apostle. So he was one of the ones that saw the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he was able to do all those things. And so you see what I'm saying? Like by working out of class, you do different things. And maybe that's not your title. Maybe that's not your exact position, but you're still supposed to be able to do all the things within the other classes, right? So, and by classes, I just mean positions, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying it's like the hierarchy of, of church or something. So, but number one, you must be willing, Brother Ian, to work out of class. Number two, you need to be able to preach the word of God. You need to be able to preach the word of God. Number two, let's look at Acts chapter eight, verse number four. Acts chapter eight, verse number four. The Bible says when, Therefore, they were scattered abroad, went everywhere. What, did the, what does it say? Preaching the word, right? Then Philip, this is Philip, the same Philip that was the deacon, went down into the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed. And what does it say? There was great joy in that city. Now remember, Jesus came with his disciples as he was going to Jerusalem, and they said, hey, what's called, you know, they didn't want to receive Christ at, at that point in time. And they said, hey, let us call fire down like Elijah did and consume them. And Jesus said, you know not what spirit you are of. Now Philip comes back years later, and what? He turns that world, the world upside down, and he goes and preaches in Samaria, the same place that they wanted to destroy. He came and saved those people because maybe they're not ready at that time. So that should just be a good clue for people when you're at the door with someone. Even if they don't want to receive what you're saying at that time, don't leave them with a sour taste. Don't leave them with, oh, those Baptists, you know, they came here and they told me I was going to hell. You know, and there's nothing wrong with telling someone that, but I mean, there's just a tactful way to do it, okay? So we do need to warn people. Uh, me and Hunar were out yesterday, and uh, there was a lady who was, uh, I think she was an Orthodox, and she was telling us, do you believe in the cross? You know, it's like, yeah, I believe in the cross, but, like, not the way you're saying it. Like she said, we have to pick up your cross daily 
and follow after me. I was just like, okay. And we were real nice to her, and she was a nice lady. And in the end, you know, I basically just told her, you know, she was an older lady. So, like, I usually try a little bit harder if someone's an elder because that might be the last time someone ever knocks on her door. I mean, and then, you know, she, uh, at least we needed to warn her and let her know, hey, you know, what you're, I just told her what you're believing is not the truth. And this is the truth is that you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in him only for your salvation. And baptism does not save you. So, you know, she was, we left her with, though, with a good taste in her, in, in her mouth as far as what we, you know, we weren't mean to her. You know, don't just be like, ow, oh, you know, you don't want to receive Christ, well, go to hell then or something. You know, that's just, that's not the attitude we should have. Now, obviously, if the person's like some reprobate or something, even then, like I knocked on the door of a reprobate yesterday. Guy had fingernail polish on both hands, toenail polish on his toes. He was wearing some kind of a weird shirt. But then he said he wanted to hear the gospel, and I was just like, Ugh. talk about getting out of your comfort zone. But then he starts talking about how Judas, the book of Judas, was uh, taken out by the church, and you know, Judas actually was the one that was crucified. It wasn't Jesus. And I was just like, okay, this guy's a bait. He a reprobate. But, uh, <laughs> so, but you know what I didn't do? I didn't go, you stinking queer or whatever. You know, I, I didn't freak out on them. I just said, well, see you later. <laughs> you know, we just left. You know, I said, look at the card and whatever, you know. But, you know, if I would have said something really, really what, what I wanted to say, then what would that have accomplished? Him just spazzing out, freaking out, probably chasing us, trying to put his hands on us or something. And, you know, I don't want to have them put their hands on me anyway, so I don't want to touch them in any way, shape, or form. So, but you know what would have done? What would that have done had we the next door? Maybe someone gets saved, even though they didn't. But you just don't know. But like when you when you open the door to that kind of stuff, then you know obviously people are going to freak out on you regardless of whether you're nice or not. Sometimes they're just going to come around and take all the invitations off the doors. You guys ever have that happen here, where they just kind of wig out? I don't know. We have these apartment managers, and they're usually, they have to, like, have a blood oath to be given over to Satan or something in the States, and they'll call me, and they'll email me and say, you know, you're not supposed to be here. It's like, you ever heard of the First Amendment? America. Anyway, <laughs> I got off track here, but where, where was I at? Uh, let's see. There's great joy in that city. So the evangelist, uh, or I mean, the, the deacon known as Philip was also doing the work of an evangelist here. And he, uh, he settled in Samaria here where he preached Christ. Now look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 where we started in our text this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1. The Bible says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. So one of the one of the things that I want you to do, Ian, is preach the word. And it says, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. It's not just preach what everybody's happy with. It's not just preach, you know, and, and make sure not to offend certain people. The Bible says that we're supposed to preach in season and out of season. There's certain things that are out of season, aren't there? There's certain things like, you know, for instance, preaching against the homos. That's out of season, isn't it? And, you know, you could get in trouble for it, I guess. But, you know, I mean, trouble's going to come. But you can't just, you can't taper down the message. You can't trim the message. 
You know, sometimes you have to be in the same room with somebody and you're saying something that you know is a hard thing for them. It could just be something that they're not doing right in their life. And you know that that's going to, you know, it's either going to make them leave or it's going to make them change. So, and, and, and listen to this folks, if, if Ian, brother Ian says something and it, and it, you know, rubs you the wrong way, it's like rubbing the cat backwards or whatever. You know, when you rub them the wrong way, they kind of get irritated with you and scratch you. Well, don't be like that. Take in the word of God into your heart, into your ears, let it sink down. And if it's something that, you know, if it, if it makes you mad, then it's probably something you need to work on. It's probably something you need to fix in your life. And so don't be afraid to be challenged by God's word. It's not hard preaching if it never steps on your toes, is it? And so you have to, he's going to have to preach some hard stuff. You know, it's might, it might step on your toes. It might make you feel bad. You know, but there's plenty of churches out here you can go to that are going to make you feel good every time you walk out the doors. But, you know, sometimes the hard truth is something that you need to hear. And so, Brother Ian, I'm charging you to preach the Word of God. And it says, with all long suffering and doctrine, reprove, that means to tell someone they're wrong. Rebuke, that means to say they're wrong in a harsh way. And then uh, exhort means to encourage. So he's supposed to do all three of those things. It's not just one, a one-trick pony. Only exhortation. That's Joel Osteen. You guys want to go to his church? Well, go to his church then. If you just want to be exhorted, don't let the devil steal your joy. And he's got the big, stupid smile on his face. Yeah. You know, these TV preachers, they get up, and they really, literally, they look the part. They act the part. But literally, inside, they're just ravening wolves. TD Jakes and all these bozos that are preaching on TV every week. You know why they're able to preach on TV like that, on a live audience like that, or whatever, or recorded anyway? They're able to do that because they have all kinds of money. Because that's what they care about is uh, the love of money, which is the root of all evil. And people are going to preach things to make you uh, just feel good about yourself. And sometimes you should walk out the doors and feel bad about yourself. Sometimes you should walk out the doors and say, I have something I need to work on. And just let the word of God change you. Because you're never going to get any better if you don't let the word of God chip away at the hardness of your heart. You're never going to get any better if you don't let the word of God chip away at the rough parts of you. Because when you first got saved, are you any different than when you, than when you got saved? I think that most of the people in here are. What would you have been wearing the day one when you got saved? You know, tank top like I did. I walked in smelling like cigarettes. I had a tank top, a bla Portland Trailblazers uh, tank top on and a pair of shorts. Smelling like smoke. Smelling like sulfur, <laughs> you know. But things chipped away. The word of God was preached to me. I started to learn my Bible. And after a while, you just, you start to change, don't you? It's little by little. Here a little, there a little. You don't just automatically, you know, I gave up smoking the first day. You know, I, I never wanted to sin again for the rest of my life. It's like, you liar. <laughs> you know you were drinking beers and smoking cigarettes after you got saved even also. But, you know, when the word of God comes to you, let it do what it does. Don't resist. Don't deny it. When the Bible says to dress like a woman, dress like a woman, women. When the Bible says to be a man, men, then be a man. Don't be walking around with these skinny jeans on, getting pedicures and stuff. What's wrong with you? <laughs> so let the word of God be preached and let it be preached without sparing. Now look at what it says in verse 3. 
For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And this is the problem right now in, modern, in the modern day world is that people want to heap to themselves. What's a heap? It's like a pile, right? They want to pile high all these wicked false teachers and they've turned their ears away from what the truth is. That's why when I tried to do baptisms at the hotel I was at, they said, oh, we don't have the license to do that. It's like, you have to have a license to baptize somebody? When did that happen? Only in England, I guess. But, hey, we still were able to baptize yesterday. And you know what? It was a, it was a beautiful, picturesque scene So of the ocean. It was nice. But, you know, people have been turned to fables. And they just refuse to hear what the Word of God says anymore. And that's why they get so mad about a church like this, that we get up and we just preach the Bible. It says what it says. Do what it says, and your life will be better off. Your marriage will be better off. Your children will be better off. Hey, you know what happens when you start actually spanking your children? Is that what you call it here? What do you call it? Is it spanking? Okay. Just want to make sure. It's like, you guys got some different words here. Okay. (laughs) Once you start spanking your children, don't they get better? Yeah, they do. And, And there's some people that, like, they get saved, and they've never spanked their kid yet, and they're, you know, kind of little monsters. But then once you start spanking them, they get better, don't they? Because the Bible says to spare not. You're not supposed to spare that rod, are we? So we're supposed to, so if you're not sparing, that means you're using it. Right? And so, you know, I'm going to get in trouble for saying you should spank your kids. But I don't care because the word of God needs to be preached. Amen? Amen. And so we need to get away from the people that are going to tell you what you want to hear and tickle your ears and make you feel all good when you go outside. And maybe you just need to have some some guy in a rough garment preach the word of God to you so that you can get your life right. Because a lot of people come to church because their life is going the wrong way. But the Bible is going to help you make your life go the right way. And Bible preaching is going to help you. So look what it says in verse five, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. So that's what, as you get ordained as an evangelist, you know, your job is to make full proof of your ministry. And then, you know, we'll get together and, you know, at some point of ordain you to be the pastor. And then it'll be an independent Baptist church, you know, and hopefully we'll see many churches started from this location. And, you know, even Ireland, you know, we might think about Ireland someday. No, of course, Ireland, you know, it's part, it's kind of part of the island a little bit, right? I don't know. Anyway, how about uh, what Scotland? Yeah, that'd be a rough. That'd be a rough ministry up there. But hey, the people need the word of God in Scotland too. And uh, all of Europe needs to to hear the gospel. And so you guys are definitely in a better position to start churches over there than we are in the United States. So, um, but it says, "Make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept." The faith. And that's the most important thing is that you finish. You know, it's it's not what you start, it's how you finish. Amen. So if you finish strong, you know, each and every single one of you in here, you know, the, the goal is to finish the course, to finish the Christian life. You run the race, you finish. You know, and a lot of people dash their foot against a stone and they're out of the race. Something happens hard in their life, they're out of the race. You know, some of the pastor says something they don't like, they're out of the race. You know, they listen to people that have come and corrupt the people in this church, and they don't finish the race. 
The goal is to finish the Christian life. And like the Apostle Paul said, I fought a good fight. You know what? The Christian life is a fight. It's something that we have to fight every single day. That lady was right yesterday when she said, you know, that you have to take up your cross daily and follow after him. That's true, but it's not this cross. It's, it's talking metaphorically about how Jesus Christ carried his cross to Calvary and was crucified there. We have to take it. We have to kill the old man every single day because the old man never leaves you. You know, when you're saved, you have the new man, but the old man never leaves. And so we have to wake up every day, you know, and maybe you didn't do that good yesterday. Today's a better day. Tomorrow could be a better day. And so you have to finish the course. You have to keep the faith, Brother Ian. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. So the way you finish, Brother Ian, can affect the way everybody in this room finishes also. And so it's not just about, you know, the, the man of God or whoever's leading the church is how they finish. It's not just about them. It's about how that allows everybody else to finish. And so we all need to have our eyes on the prize and try to finish this, this race. Look at Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Titus chapter 1, verse number 5. The Bible says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed thee. And obviously everybody probably knows this, that I have a heart for church planting. I want more churches to be planted, so that way you know, we can fulfill the Great Commission. And so my goal is to ordain elders in every city, but there's steps that it takes to get to that point. But look what it says, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless. See, aren't those the same qualifications you saw for the deacon? As the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. Same, same basic things there. Um, it says, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. And what does it say? Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. What is that talking about? It's talking about the Bible. This book is faithful. This, the, God is faithful. He's given us his word. And this is a perfect translation for us to read in English. You know, this is a great book. You know what? It came from this continent. It came from this island. The King James Bible. Amen. And this is the Bible, the only Bible that we'll have preached at this church, you know, as long as I'm the pastor. We're never going to NIV. You know, I know Ian likes the ESV. No, I'm just kidding. He doesn't. He doesn't really. He's King James only, right? And that's what this church is. But we're supposed to hold fast the faithful word, as you have been taught, that it may be able to, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. See, you know, we're supposed to exhort, but we're also supposed to convince the gainsayers. And we're also supposed to go to battle with people. You know, that's another thing that people like want to talk about how we need to have this sweet spirit. Well, you know what? The word sweet spirit is not in the Bible. I don't know if you knew that or not, but that word is not even in the Bible. There's a lot of different things about different spirits that are in the Bible, but sweet spirit is not one of them. Now, am I saying that we should be a mean spirit? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that sometimes you got to do, you know, if it's, if it's a battle, you know, what did, the, what, what did the life of the Apostle Paul show you? What did the life of the Apostle Paul teach you? Have you actually read the book of Acts? Have you actually read where Paul was just always being chased down? The Jews were always trying to go and cause trouble with him. 
They beat him with rods. He was shipwrecked three times. He was stoned with stones. You know, he was lashed. He was beaten with rods. All these different things. Sounds like he was in a, in a fight. Sounds like he was in a battle, right? And sometimes people are lying about him and maligning him and saying all kinds of manner of evil against him. But, uh, you know, he's saying here to Titus, he's saying, look, look at verse 10. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially them of the circumcision, whose mouth must be allowed to just continue. Is that what it says? No, it says whose mouth must be stopped, right? Their mouths must be stopped who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. What's the real agenda? Ultimately, filthy lucre. That's what it is. And that means filthy money. The love of money is the root of all evil. But there's going to be people that try to creep into this church. There's going to be enemies from the outside that want to say all manner of evil about us. And the Bible says that we got to stop their mouths. And how would you do that? Preaching. I get a lot of grief over my Billy Graham sermon. Every day I have people just emailing me, not emailing me necessarily, but YouTube comments about that sermon. And they're all mad about it. But he was a false prophet, yeah. folks. Sorry to tell you that, but Billy Graham was a false prophet. And a lot of people from England are on those comments. Like, Billy Graham is better than you. It's just all this stuff, okay? <laughs> he preached the right gospel. How dare you talk about Billy like they're just like best friends with him or something. Oh, Billy boy. The Bible says their mouths must be stopped. What did he teach? You have to repent of your sins. I repent of my sins. You know, that's part of his, his prayer. When he closes with supposedly leads some of the Lord. But the Bible says people like that make people twofold more the child of hell than they are themselves. There are evil people out there, folks, and we do have to do battle with them. And it's not a, a mean spirit to preach against false prophets. It's not. It's, it's what's right. It's what he said to do, right? Their mouths must be stopped. Why? Because they subvert whole houses. They convert people to their evil ways. And it says that we have to convince the, ga the gainsayers. You know what, Brother Ian has to preach sometimes. Against, you know, he preached against the Church of England. That's the state-led religion here. The state actually, I mean, the, what is it? The prime minister actually appoints the people that are the clergy. I mean, talk about a corrupted system. I don't know if you know this, but your prime minister is probably not a very good person. Just like our president isn't a very... If our president appointed the people that we're supposed to lead the, the religion. We don't even have a state religion. We're not allowed to have a state religion in our country. But I'm not trying to, like, you know, say ours is better or something like that, okay? But I'm just saying that, you know, we have these wicked people, and it's just weird that we would have a, you'd have a state religion telling you who, who can license to preach, who can be licensed to baptize. You know, don't they, don't they use a squirt gun or something to, to baptize people here or something? <laughs> I mean, don't they spray people with water? They drip water on them or something? That's not what the Bible says. It says they went down into the water, right? So um, so the apostles preached, pastors preach, deacons preach, evangelists preach. Did Philip preach? Yes, he did. Was he a deacon? Yeah, he was, but he was also what? An evangelist. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11. God gives leadership as a gift to the people. 
And, you know, people have a hard time with this. They have a hard time swallowing it. But what, just look at what the Bible says. And he gave some, gave, right? He gave, right? What was it when you give something? It's a gift, right? And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some, what's it say? Evangelists and some pastors and teachers. What's it say? For the perfecting of the saints, to make them not perfect so they can walk on water, but you're the total package. That means that you are a, a complete Christian. For the perfecting of the saints. For the, what's it say? The work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. So it's a gift that you get when you get an evangelist, when you have a pastor. Look at all the places out there that don't have a pastor. Look at all the people around the world that believe just like we do, but they don't have a pastor. They don't have an apostle. Well, there's no more apostles. They don't have a, a prophet. They don't have a teacher. They don't have a pastor. They don't have an evangelist. They're just a group of people just trying to do their best to serve God in this wicked and adulterous generation that we live in, where legitimate churches aren't even considered legitimate. We're called cults. Well, you know, call me a cult member then because I believe the Bible. Like, why do you even, why would you even call yourself a Christian if you don't believe this book? Why? You know, it's just like I make this example like, hey, who, who's got a watch on right now? What time does it say exactly, Brother Ian? 11.41. Anybody else got a different time? Everybody else got, what's that say? 11.44. Which one's right? They're all the same though. They're all the same. All the all clocks are the same, right? All watches are the same. That's what they try to say about the Bible. There's only one right Bible, folks. There's only one right Bible in English. It's the King James Bible. Amen. So it's you know they can't if they all say different things. My point is if they all say different things, then they all can't be right. Just like not all clocks are right. Okay, my clock's right. Eleven forty-one and fifty-one seconds. All right. Anyway, my book's right. The King James. All right. So um, we're. Still in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, Tell we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Well, everybody's good, though. Everybody's pretty much good. No, they're not pretty much good. There's people that are lying in wait to deceive you. And it's a gift to you that you're going to have an evangelist to lead this church. And hopefully someday soon to be the pastor of this church. And, you know, don't give this guy a bunch of grief. You know, is he going to be perfect? Is he going to be the perfect evangelist? I don't know. I hope he's real close. But he's probably not going to be. He's going to fall short. He's a man just like everybody, every other man in this room. And we all have our own problems, right? We're not always going to do everything perfect. So don't put something on him that he's not able to accomplish. You know, or is, the Bible says that you have to have your children in subjection. It doesn't say they have to be perfect. It doesn't say they have to be sinless. He doesn't have to be sinless either. Does it say must be sinless? Well, no, there would be no pastors in existence if that was true. So that's just not a right standard to hold on someone. And so don't start thinking that he has, to, you know, obviously he has to be, you know, 
he has to do some things on a higher caliber, but to, to expect perfect, that's, you know, perfect. If you say complete, that's good. But perfect as in he walks on water, that's not going to happen. You're never going to see him on the South end sea, you know, walking on the water. Okay. Number three, this is my last point. The work of an evangelist is to fulfill the great commission. So not only do you have to preach the word of God, but you also have to fulfill the great commission. And that's talking about evangelism, right? Soul winning, baptizing, you know, teaching. Look at Acts chapter eight, verse nine, Acts chapter eight, verse nine. Acts chapter eight, verse nine, the Bible says, but there was a certain man named called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that he, that himself was some great one to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest saying, this man is the great power of God. And to him, they had regard because of that long time he had bewitched them with sorcery. So this guy is not a very good guy. He's a sorcerer, right? And so he's a bad guy. But look at verse 12. It says, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So see, this evangelist, this deacon and evangelist, this guy came and made uh, a big waves in the city of Samaria. And this sorcerer, see, sometimes even the most wicked people are going to get saved. You know, we, we have a guy that was a former Mason in our church. He wasn't 33rd degree, okay, so don't worry. But, you know, sometimes, you know, people are going to get converted that are witches. Sometimes people are going to get converted that are sorcerers. I mean, that's what the Bible says, right? Manasseh was like one of the worst witchcraft sorcerer, devil worshipers there was. And he got saved. That's what I believe. So sometimes there's going to be these people that, you know, have a lot of issues. They're going to get saved. It says, then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with who? With Philip. See, a good man or good people are going to attach themselves to a good man. And Philip was a good man. It says, And wonder, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Isn't that funny, though? They sent Peter and John. Aren't those guys two of the same guys that said, Hey, Lord, let's call down fire and, and have a barbecue here, Lord? Right? They wanted to destroy these people, but when they heard that Samaria heard the word of God, they came to help. So at somewhere down the line, they had a change of heart and didn't want these people to be destroyed. Now hold your finger here in Acts chapter 8 and turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. It says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And we committed some of the we, I mean, we commended some of the saints to baptism yesterday, and it says baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Didn't I baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost yesterday? That's part of the Great Commission. That's one of the things that Jesus told us. But he says, go ye therefore, teach all nations. Look at verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Look, folks, we have the power of Jesus Christ. Every time we go out soul winning, don't think that you're alone. We have the Lord Jesus Christ going with us. Amen. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth, is what he says. And so he gives us that power at Pentecost. What did he do? He gave the disciples the power of God of the Holy Ghost. They already had the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost came to them with power, didn't he? 
And you know what? You, each and every single person in this room has power, more power than you probably realize because you're going forth in Jesus' name and we're going and preaching the gospel, teaching nations, baptizing them. And that's what Philip was doing here, wasn't he? He was going, he got a lot of people in Samaria saved. He converted some sorcerer and that sorcerer started to follow him. Now, was the sorcerer perfect? No, he's called Simon the sorcerer. And he, you know, he did some things that he wasn't supposed to do after this, but that just shows you that people aren't going to be always perfect once they get saved. They're going to have some issues. Now, go back to Acts chapter 8 where I had you and look at verse 26. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And what's it say? He arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all the treasure and came to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his char chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to his chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest what thou, what thou readest. And he said, How can I? except some man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he should come up and sit with him. So here's this story. So it's the same chapter where he goes to Samaria, gets all these people saved, but the, but the Spirit of God says, hey, go and join yourself into this chariot. You know, as an evangelist, Brother Ian, you know, it's not just about evangelizing this area here, but it's about going to other places also. And you guys do the soul winning marathons once a month. That's great. And, you know, I, I expect that at some point, you might go to Scotland or you might go to Ireland to have some kind of soul winning marathon. You know, I mean, you're gonna have to pick out some good spots, but uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But every, hey, people still need to hear that the world may know. We want the world to know who the Lord is. I'm just going to read this, this uh, scripture real quickly. It says in uh, Romans chapter one, verse 15, you can just keep where you're at. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. So we have to be always be ready. And Brother Ian, you have to always be ready to jump out and, and reach these Ethiopian eunuchs and get them saved. Be willing to go. You know, because you you have a lot of responsibility, but don't forget the a main part of your response, you know, the, the word evangelist is someone that goes and preaches the gospel, right? So don't lose track of that part of your calling. The work of an evangelist is to go out and evangelize people. Look at Acts 8.32. In the place of the scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before the shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away and who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. See, and that's just a great story of fulfilling the Great Commission, 
The Lord sent him to this man. This man's reading the Bible. He doesn't understand what he's even reading. And then that's what Philip says. Hey, you understand what you're reading? And how many times do we go to people's doors and they say, you know, I was just thinking about going to church. I was just thinking about what it takes to be saved. Do you think that's an accident? No, God sends us to doors. And it's not like he tells you, hey, go to this door. But the Spirit of God is going to send us where we need to go. You know, and that's why it's important that we have someone leading this soul winning, someone leading the charge. And I know that there's captains in here that, that lead soul winning, but think about this. You know, how many times have you heard something like that? That's not every door that you hear it, but a lot of times you do hear it. You hear, I was just thinking what it takes to be saved just a few minutes ago. It's like, yeah, the Spirit of God sent me to your door. <laughs> I mean, that's just a fact, right? But, Brother Ian, you got to be willing to continue uh, to fulfill the Great Commission. And uh, look what it says in verse 40. I think this is really interesting. It says, But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to where? Caesarea. Now let's pick up the story many years later. See, a lot of people think that evangelists, that, you know, they just go for a little while and then they stop being an evangelist. You know, but Philip didn't stop being an evangelist. And I, I'm not exactly sure how many years have passed between Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 21. I didn't sit down and, and figure all that out. But many years later, Philip is still doing the same thing. And remember, he leaves off in Acts 8.40, says, till he came to Caesarea. So he went into all these cities. He was preaching, doing the work of an evangelist, baptizing people. Look at Acts 28 or 21 verse 8. It says, in the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came to where? Caesarea, the same place where we see Philip leaving off. It says, and we entered into the house of Philip, the what? What's he called? The evangelist, which was one of the what? Seven. So here we have it nailed down. He was one of the first deacons, and he's also the evangelist. He's both, right? He was one of the seven and abode with him. So he's a hospitable guy. They all abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did what? Prophesy. Now, they're not fortune tell they're not telling the future here, but I would say that they're soul winning ladies. Virgin soul winning ladies. And so what does that tell you? That Philip raised his family well. He ruled his family well. He still had those qualifications in place as a deacon. And it says, as we tarried there many days. There came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. So they, you know, it shows also that Philip's a hospitable guy, but where did he, what did he do? He planted roots in Caesarea. He said, you know what, I'm going to stay in Caesarea and just raise my family there, do, continue to do. He, it says he was still an evangelist, right? So an evangelist can plant roots in a place. And you know, sometimes there, there might be a situation where someone, maybe they're not qualified to be a pastor, they're an evangelist. They're not qualified to be a pastor, but that person could stay an evangelist for many, many years. Does that mean that their church is not legitimate? No. I'm sure he had some kind of an outpost that he was ruling there, that he was ruling over, but wasn't a, you know, he wasn't a pastor. He was an evangelist. I don't know what the reason for that was. Maybe he just didn't want to be one. But, you know, just because Ian's an evangelist doesn't mean that this church is not legit. This church is legit. Amen. Amen. So we're just as legit as anybody else. So number one, an evangelist should be willing to work out of class. Number two, an evangelist must be willing to preach the word of God, regardless of who it offends, regardless of what, what, what season it is. 
you know, you got to preach the word of God, Brother Ian. And an evangelist must be willing to fulfill the Great Commission. That means continue soul winning, preaching, evangelism, and the Great Commission, baptizing, you know, and leading this church. And so my charge to you, Brother Ian, is that you lead this church well and that you continue to work towards, you know, getting your qualifications as a bishop. And um, I'm commending this church to you and everybody here under the sound of my voice. You know, Ian is the leader here, and that's not going to change unless he does something that makes me mad. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, you won't know about it if he makes me mad. It'll be a private thing. But uh, Ian, you know, you've done a great job so far, and I want you to come up, and, and I'm going to this over here. Just have you come right here. And so I'm going to pray for Ian and command him into the ministry, all right? Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray right now for Brother Ian, that, Lord, you just bless him and fill him with your spirit, and, Lord, that he would... Uh, that he would continue with the charge that's been given to him to continue to preach the word of God, to lead this church, to preach the gospel. Lord, I just pray for him and his family and uh, his children. I pray, Lord, that he would be a great leader in his home and a great leader in this church. And, Lord, um, I just commend this church into his hands. As uh, the pastor of Sure Foundation Baptist Church, I now ordain Ian as an evangelist to Sure Foundation Baptist in the U.K. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Congratulations. All right, this is your evangelist, everybody. Ian's going to sing one more song. No, I'm just kidding. I'll sing it. <laughs>